Phone lines are wide open. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to one of my favorite moments of the week. Yes, you've got questions, we've got answers. Our phone lines are open. The entire show dedicated to calling in with any question of any kind. As long as it's appropriate for Christian radio, nothing is off limits. 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Yes, the thought of doing this on Friday did occur to me listening to Rush Limbaugh before I was on the radio when he would have Open Line Friday. But our phones are always open for all kinds of discussion. But this is the day we said, yeah, just whatever you want to talk about, we're glad to do it. So I I would do this 24-7. I love being here to answer your questions and interact with you. But this is our special moment to do it each week, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's start in Sugarland, Texas. Tamara, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Yes, um, I had kind of like two topics I wanted your input on. So first has to deal with Mark chapter 14, verses Mm -hmm. 51 and 52. Okay. Um, What exactly is going on there? Is there any clue as to who the guy is that was wrapped in linen, but, you know, he left away, you know, from, uh, you know, uh, it, it was when they just um, arrested Jesus. Uh, right, right. So so he's just wearing a linen cloth around his body. It's You would have expected he'd have another garment on, but he doesn't. And and he, he takes off, runs for his life when, when they grab and he just runs off naked. Um, there is speculation. Some think it could have been Mark, John Mark, who wrote the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't know. It's one of those interesting things. It's, it's recorded. You wonder why it would even be recorded. The, the picture is how scared people were that they just took off and ran. Even if the, you, know, you lose your clothes, you run for your life. So that's what's clearly conveyed. But there is speculation. It was John Mark. Beyond that, we really don't know. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for that answer. Um, the other thing is kind of a... Uh, it, I call it, uh, it seems like a contradiction, but I, I know there's no contradiction. I, I just haven't figured out the answer. So it has to deal with Exodus chapter 6 and mm-hmm. verse 3. Yeah. When um, God is telling Moses that um, your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, knew me as, uh, it, it says in there, as the Lord God Almighty. But by this name, by my name, uh, you know, the, the, the sacred name of God, they didn't know me by, but um, I was wondering, you know, why is it that in in Genesis, like like for instance, like um, in Genesis fourteen twenty two, uh, and in Genesis fifteen seven. Oh, all uh, over. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The name Yahweh, or as people would have known it, the past Jehovah, is used all the time. Yeah. So this right. is a this is a, a classic question uh, that scholars have debated for many many years. So obviously. 
there's not an error. Like, oh, we didn't realize that. <laughs> we didn't realize the, the obvious here. Uh, so the question is, what exactly is meant? So um, King James, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, so El Shaddai. But by my mm-hmm. name Jehovah, or Yahweh, was I not known to them. I'm going to read the NET. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I was not known to them. So what, what does that actually mean? Because they certainly knew the name and they referred to him by that covenant name. So the best way to understand it is that they did not understand who he was as Yahweh. They did not understand the significance of that name. That was not revealed to them. NLT, which is a paraphrase, said, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them. Now that the Lord is about to keep his covenant promises to Israel, he is revealing his full nature as Yahweh. That ties in with his covenant promises somehow. Whereas he had revealed himself more in the past as El Shaddai, demonstrating his power on their behalf and so on. Now he was going to keep his covenant promises to the nation. So, I mean, there, there are others who have tried to translate it differently and say that he's saying, I appeared as El Shaddai, but I was. Wasn't I actually revealed as Yahweh as well? Most don't understand it in that way. So, Tamara, my understanding is that God is now revealing himself as Yahweh, that he revealed himself as El Shaddai, even though they knew his name. Now the people of Israel will really understand who he is as Yahweh. That is being revealed as he will keep his covenantal promises to the nation. So that's the understanding that I feel is the soundest and the easiest based on the straight reading of the text. Thank you for your questions. Uh, You're asking questions that many have asked because these are very legitimate questions. Uh, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Coach Ron in Rochester, New York. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Shalom. Shalom. Um, I had a question. How you been? All good, man. Thank you. Um, I had a question about Peter when he cut the ear off the servant Malchus. Yeah. Was Peter skilled with the sword? I got in a debate with someone. I'm believing he was skilled, and someone said he was just clumsy and he hit the ear by accident. Your guess is as good as mine. Honestly. Mm. In other words, we don't have any other data. We know he was a fisherman. That we know. We know that he did not have a, a formal <laughs> formal uh, academic training, you could say. We know that from Acts 4.13. Some even claim he was illiterate. I don't think that's what it means. I think he means it means he didn't have formal academic training. So we would say seminary training or rabbinic training. Um, but as far as a sword, we don't know. Now, it would not have been the norm for a Judean to be carrying a sword and using a sword because of Roman rule and the things associated with that. But, you know, if he's a fisherman, he's, you know, gutting fish, he's doing whatever he does. I'm sure he's handling, used to handling a knife. But beyond that, it's, mm. it's, it's speculation, right? Beyond what you could glean mm. from him being a fisherman and the fact that, generally speaking, they would not be carrying swords, you know, in, in, under Roman occupation. Uh, your guess is as good as the, the guess of the friends you're debating with. So whoever can make the better argument, go for it. 
Oh, also, I've, I've uh, been in deliverance ministry, and I've been really thinking about the riots going on. And uh, I was thinking of Barabbas. Uh, can you tell us about a little bit about Barabbas? Is, was he a causer of riots? Well, he was, he was an insurrectionist. You know, he was, he was wanting to topple Rome. Uh, as to what degree that he caused riots, uh, how successful that was, that's another story. But he was an insurrectionist, and he was a troublemaker. And, and certainly the spirit behind riots is, is not the spirit of God. We've emphasized that. We have a whole video on the spirit behind the, the riots. That just You watch the footage and you hear our commentary. That's clear enough. That doesn't mean they're not legitimate issues and grievances that people have, but the spirit behind the riots is one of chaos and anarchy and anti-authority. Hey, thank you for the call. And by the way, it's the first time I've ever considered the question whether Peter was skilled with a sword or not. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to David in Tewksbury, Massachusetts. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Um, I just wanted to, I was, I was kind of, I know, with all, like, the talk about, like, um, Trump and him, like, with different military and stuff, like, I was talking about, like, policing and military, and there was a, a brother in the Lord, he, he's a Christian, but he, he was saying, like, the more biblical way uh, to, to walk out the Christian life is pacifism. So I wanted I was I wanted to know like 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 what is pacifism and is it is it like is it biblical like for Christians to be pacifists or right so so first we should be peacemakers personally right blessed are 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 the peacemakers they'll be called children of God so we want to do that as much as possible we want to be bridge builders we want to humble ourselves and reach out to reconcile we don't want to be troublemakers we want to be peacemakers. That's one thing. Uh, a second thing is, in terms of our personal conviction regarding serving in the military, we may, as followers of Jesus, have to choose to be conscientious, <clears throat> conscientious objectors because we, we cannot see a situation in which we would be willing to kill another human being, even in the midst of war, in which case we serve in other ways. Uh, you know, Maybe we're on the field as a doctor or something like this, or treating the wounded or, or hel- helping in various other ways. Uh, you know, if there was a draft and people were called up. But the idea that pacifism is right for a government, that is not biblical. And, and here, here's what Paul writes in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience." So Paul is saying that governing authorities are appointed by God to support the good, to fight against the bad, and they, they carry the sword. So, so there is authority and there is force involved. And just like 
we agree there should be local police. If there's brutality or whatever, there should be police reform. But we agree police are important. We agree in the home, parental authority is important. In the school, the teachers have authority. And, and the authority is backed in different ways. You'd be expelled from the school. The same way if you, you break in a house and steal and you're caught and found guilty, you go to jail. There could be something else here. Someone's trying to attack your family, okay? They're trying to attack and kill your family, and a police officer shows up in time and shoots that person dead as they're trying to kill you. That's a good thing that that police officer did. So when the authority and military force are used for right causes, this is something God's ordained in the earth, and it's necessary because of the world in which we live. That's a reality. But thank you for the call. With your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends. Just during the break, glancing at some of the news, the craziness in Seattle. We were just talking about law, law enforcement, military, things like that. Yes, there are abuses, of course. But if you pull righteous authority or proper authority out of society, you have complete chaos, complete anarchy, and as one of my colleagues noted via email to me today, that those that call for the abolition of police end up with a police state of their own, with tyranny. You see what the mob wants. You bow down to us or we shut down your business. You bow down to us. And by the way, the mob is, is white and black and Hispanic and male and female. It's all different backgrounds. Asian, it's, it's not just black or not just white. It's, it's all different people with radical ideologies saying you bow down to us or else. And friends, if ever it was important that our message is getting out, the message of Line of Fire, the message of our articles and videos, it's now. So please pray with us. We know we are here for such a time as this. We know our message is critically important. Pray that God will continue to get it out, will continue to give us open doors, will continue to anoint us with his grace, his wisdom, his truth, his love, and that every word will be multiplied exponentially. It is a critical, critical time. 866 Three, four, truth. Let's just see where we start. And here we go. Uh, in Warrington, Oregon, Christine, thanks for joining us on the Line of Fire. Hi, thank you. You're welcome. Um, I just wanted to tell you that I keep one of Dr. Brown's memes on my Facebook for like 13 years. It has a picture of Corey Tin Boom, and it says, Seeing the inconceivable, believing the unbelievable, and receiving the impossible. Mm, amazing. What a great word from Corey, huh? Yes. I wrote a book about miracles. It has nine chapters in it. Each chapter is a separate miracle, and it focuses a little bit on abuses of children and women and the elderly. Mm. I was a cancer nurse for 10 years and have a long story. But anyway, the reason I called real quick is I play guitar, and I sing really well, and I wrote a book about miracles, and I mailed it to the White House Faith Opportunity Initiative Office. Mm -hmm. I mailed it to Trump and to Melania, 
and they said they were going to help the Christians and that I'd never be ignored again and that the forgotten men and women of America would be forgotten no more. And so I wanted to simply ask you to please let me give a shout-out to President Trump about my jaw-dropping miracle book. All right, hey, listen, Christine, uh, you have just as good a chance of your letter reaching the president of, uh, as of him having to hear our conversation here. But, hey, uh, Mr. Trump, well, President, president him, Trump, if you're listening now, check out this book. But I sent him a Russian Santa doll Christmas ornament, and he sent me back a letter, and he thanked me for my gift. And I sent it as a joke to show my support of him. And he sent me back a letter, and it, he said that it heartened him and Melania to receive it. It was a Russian Santa doll Christmas ornament, if you get it. Hey, hey listen. Anyway, it, it, and yeah, so my question be, is, why could he answer me about that and not answer me about my jaw-dropping miracle book? Yeah, well, that that I can't tell. I can pretty well assure you that it was a staff member who wrote the who wrote back. I was telling Nancy that this. I just got a letter from the president. I get emails from him all the time. Yeah, obviously. Trillions of other people, just form letters and emails. And, but in any case, hey, may, maybe the packaging got somebody's attention. But you, ne- you never know what's going to get into someone's hands. You just never know. So it's worth, it's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. Hey, Christine, thank you uh, for the call, and I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Um, let's go to Christine in Lawrence, Kansas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Um, I'm calling because a chatter in your chat today by the name of, uh, I guess it would be pronounced Zion Talk. He spells it T-C-I-O-N. Anyway, he is saying that um, Sylvia Singer is more than happy to debate you live and that you have refused. And the implication seems to be that you or your staff have done unfair editing when he has debated you in the past where you, only you or your staff interacted with it uh, in editing. Oh, no, Did no, 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 no. Uh, thousands, tens of thousands of people, probably hundreds of thousands know that I have been open and willing to debate Tovia in any setting where there's an equal time debate live, any setting for over 20 years, and he's cut me off entirely. That's, that's well known. Uh, I mean, I could witness after there have even petitions started to get him to debate me. So, no, no, the person is either lying through their teeth on, on the, the, the chat right now on YouTube, they're either lying through their teeth or they're completely misinformed. But either way, 100% bogus. So here, the invitation, once again, as I've given it hundreds of times, let us have a formal, moderated, in-depth debate on Jesus the Messiah according to the Scriptures, according to the Tanakh. Let us do it anytime, any setting, as long as it's fair, moderated, and it can be live-streamed for the whole world to watch live, unedited, period. So what actually happened is that in the early 1990s, we did a debate at the home of a Russian Jew, a new believer, and neither of us knew that this was going to be a formal debate. He invited a bunch of people over to the house. I was there. Tovia was there first time we met, and he said, okay, I've got a debate. I've got the whole program laid out, etc." So people recorded it on their own cassette tapes. Tovia asked me to not release that. So we never released those tapes. I think he was embarrassed in certain ways by mistakes he made. In any case, he asked that we not release it. And because it was not a formally agreed to thing in advance, and 
Okay, so we agreed to that. Subsequently, he and I were on a, a broadcast that Sid Roth did that blanketed Greater New York, New Jersey. And uh, 700 Club came in with a camera crew. They were going to videotape the whole thing. And there are numerous witnesses that attest to this. They were going to videotape the entire uh, debate. And then they were going to air it on the 700 Club. So this would give it a great audience. And, and Tover would get his message out to, to a Christian audience as well. So we signed release form beforehand. I signed mine. Toby says, I'll, I'll sign mine afterwards. When we were done, he refused to sign. So... That footage that was done in full by CBN, and again, there are witnesses that will attest to this, Tovia said no, he won't allow it to be released. Okay, what we did agree on was that there would be a cassette tape of the debate that we released, an audio tape to anyone that, that wanted to get it, all right? The problem was, if you remember cassette tapes, they had a limit of there were 60 minutes or 90 minutes. So the debate with other questions, callers, and things like that, came to more than 90 minutes. So Tovia, Sid Roth, and I, together, God and others as my witness, edited that debate to get rid of some calls that we thought were not as important. And then when the three of us agreed on the content, I remember I told Tovia, I thought there was a good answer to that call. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. We agreed on it. That was out and released, and we've put that out and had it out in the public for, for decades, ever since we've had that out. So this whole idea that we unfairly edited, either Tovia is lying through his teeth or he forgot the process. Now, we've tried to reach out over the years. In fact, he and I interacted a lot after that, and then I really began to pray for him, got a burden for him. He completely cut me off. The good news is, though, that his deceptive tactics are being exposed and God willing, in the months ahead, we are going to be producing a video series taking his videos and debunking them one after another after another and exposing his errors, exposing the deception. Now, I want to say this. I have dealt with other counter-missionary rabbis. Some of them, to this day, it's going on 20 years, we email each other several times a week. We are friends in the midst of our differences. We don't blast each other publicly or privately. We, we differ, and, and, and we keep dialoguing. Uh, Tovia is in a different category. He has publicly lied about me, publicly misrepresented things, uh, butchers things in the Bible, and then tries to present it as if he's, he's presented the truth. So we're, we're eager to expose his lies and demolish them so that people are not deceived by him. But... 100% false information there. And if you want, uh, Christine, I'll say this last thing. On the YouTube channel, uh, on the Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel, just type in Tovia Singer, and you'll see some videos where we directly expose, directly rebut, and even tell the true history of what happened with our debates. I remain open, wide open, joyfully to debate him at any time, any setting, on the topic we agree on, as long as it's a formal moderated debate that can live stream for everyone to watch. Once again, wide open. So, Christine, thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. Yes, thanks. You're very welcome. 866-34-TRUTH. Okay, we've got a minute, so not enough time to take a call. So I'm, I'm going to get to your calls on the other side of the break. I, I love some of these topics that I'm looking at here. So 
If you want to join our support team, we have an army of torchbearers. These are people who help us with a dollar or more per day, so $30 or more per month. Every month we send you a brand new audio message, a special audio message. Every month, every day, you have access to a number of online classes that others would pay $50 or $75 for, unlimited access to those classes. We have other exclusive content that with all the thousands of hours of free content we have, we also have exclusive content you get to watch as a torchbearer. You also get a 15% discount in our online bookstore. If you go to Israel with us, for one person, you get 10% off the Israel fare. And every month you get an insider prayer letter. So we pour back into you. But you are the nucleus of so much of what we do. Would you, would you join our support team if you appreciate what we're doing? I see Dr. Brown, we want to hold your hands up and get this message out. Take a minute, go to AskDrBrown, ASKDRBrown.org. Click on Donate, Monthly Support. Together, we're making a massive difference. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us on the Friday edition of The Line of Fire. You've got questions. We've got answers. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Uh, Let's start with George in Miami, Florida. Thanks for calling The Line of Fire. Thank you for your time, Dr. Brown. You're welcome. Um, I have a question. Um, to my understanding, the, the phrase works of the law only appear in positive epistles and in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So um, my question is, in light of the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, does that have any bearing in the way we should um, interpret Paul's, Paul's usage of the, of the phrase? There's a great debate about that, especially in what's called the, the new perspective on Paul. And some have argued, like Professor James Dunn in his Romans commentary and his books on, on Paul and the law and Jesus on the law, that, that works of the law did not mean just seeking to keep the law to be obedient, but specific categories, you know, in cir- circumcision, certain things that would, right. would be markers that would separate the Jewish people from others. And that's what Paul was referring to. Uh, there's debate about that, again, among scholars, and it's, it's massive and complex and detailed. There's an endless stream of literature about it. But I'm not inclined to embrace that view, again, with all respect to, to learned scholars that would see things differently, be, because it seems to be a mindset that Paul is talking about, not so much a distinction between Jew and Gentile, but a mindset of being righteous by observing the law, and that the phrase ties in with that. Uh, And, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls would not drive me to to think differently on that. Okay, got it. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's all I need. And again, you know, George, a good thing to do, because scholarship is is massive and no one can keep up with everything, is, is when you hear a theory, now just kind of try to read it through the whole book, all of Galatians, all of Romans, and, and say, okay, does it seem to work, or, or would, I, would I never get that impression unless someone told me? And, and that's always a good thing to do, or there are larger issues that are involved there. Hey, thank you, sir, for the call. 
Appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to... All right. I was going to go to David in Ontario, but we won't. Let us go to TJ in Kansas City. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi. Hey. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I had a question about loop 22. I think it's 35 through 37 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question, one is just why initially when, when Jesus first sends them out, he tells them not to bring anything. And then there he's saying um, now for them to bring the knapsack and the different things. And then um, my second question regarding that in particular is regarding the sword, um, where he says to sell a cloak and buy a sword. And then he says two is enough. So um, I think that was my initial question, but then reading it again, I was just wondering about the whole of it. Yeah, so there, there are a few different ways to understand this, and, and I have a whole chapter in my book, The Real Kosher Jesus, where I address this. Because my friend Rabbi Shmuley, when we've debated this, he's followed theories of Haim Maccabee and some others that say that Jesus hated Rome and wanted to lead a revolt against Rome, that he was not a false messiah, he was a failed messiah, that he thought his disciples with a few swords would start an uprising against Rome, and when the Jewish people saw it, they would rise up in mass and then overthrow Rome, and of course it failed. And he says, look, why else do you have the sword passage there? Well, the answer is everything in, in what Yeshua taught and did was to not take up the sword and, and to not fight against Rome. And, and in those very passages, in the parallels in, in John 18 and in, in Mark uh, 14 and Matthew 26, the parallel passages very strongly is just put your, no, enough, don't, don't go killing people, trying to maim people with your swords. If you put, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. So he's clearly renouncing that. So the question is, what's it there for? Some look at it that he's saying that times are going to get really rough right now and you'll need provision. It's going to be rough. It's going to be a dark time. You're going to need provision and you're going to need to be able to protect yourselves, self-defense. I don't see it like that. Some do, I don't see it like that. He's certainly not saying, hey, Let's start a revolt against Rome. How many swords do we have? Two. Oh, 11 people, two swords. That'll be perfect. Great. We'll overthrow Rome with this. Clearly not. Why does he say that, that he is, is doing this? He said, I must be numbered with the transgressors. In other words, when I'm arrested, uh, it's going to look like I'm with these, these criminals or these, these guys that want to overthrow the government. And it seems that he's speaking to them now with extreme irony, okay? That, that, that this, is not, um, this is not something he's actually counseling them to do. And when they say we have two swords, he goes, enough. I, I'm, I'm not saying you need literal swords. I'm, I'm making a spiritual point here. And again, look at the, the context as, as we read in, Matthew, in, in Luke 22. Um, now let one who has a money bag take it, likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you, the scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. So it's going to look 
like I'm with a bunch of sinners and transgressors when I get arrested. That's, that's, how, they, that's how they account me. And then they said, uh, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. Others translate, like, enough. I, I don't mean we need literal swords. That's how I take it. He's speaking to them with great irony about the time in which we're living and saying, hey, it's got to look like I'm a, with a bunch of thieves and, and transgressors here and rebels. So, you know, let's get some swords. We have a couple. Okay, right, great. That's fine, enough. That, that's how I take it. And that's how many other scholars okay. take it as well. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and, and again here, if we just keep reading in this very same passage, okay, if, if we come down and, and read um, towards the end, so, so now the, the crowd comes out, one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear, but Jesus said, no more of this. That's in Luke. Very pat- no, I don't want you to be using swords. And then in Matthew 26, which I quoted, whoever uh, takes the sword from a sheaf Whoever lives by the sword will die by the sword. So that's, that's, to me, the best way to understand it. Hey, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go in Milwaukee to Kong. Thank you for calling the line of fire. Hey, uh, Dr. Brown, thank you for having me on your show. You're welcome. Uh, I got a question by Bible verse regarding uh, Exodus thirty three eleven, where God says okay. to Moses, you know, he spoke to him face to face as a man speaks with a friend. But later on, verse 20, he said, you can't look at my face and uh, and yet live. I mean, I'm just confused about those two passages. Just just a personal testimony from, from those, those that, that verse. That's why I'm... Yeah, yeah. So, so in fact, um, yeah, and it's... it's uh, so Exodus thirty three eleven, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That doesn't mean seeing him in all of his glory. It means like you and I are talking right now. This is like face to face, back and forth. So if you're listening right. on radio, you're not seeing my face. I don't see your face. But we're having we're having a face to face conversation in that respect, like a man speaks to his friend back and forth. Now Numbers twelve does say that Moses saw the tmunah, the form of the Lord. But it seems that seeing the Lord in all of his glory and seeing his face in that regard is something that did not happen. And that okay. the way I also understand it is, is that God reveals himself through his son to the world. So no one has seen the father, right? We have many people in the Old Testament says they saw God, like Exodus 24, there were 74 people. Moses, Aaron, Nadav, Avihu, and the 70 elders says they saw the God of Israel, right? Uh, right. And then Exodus later, no one can see my face and live. So it's either the Father is hidden and unrevealed, and that's why the New Testament, like John 1, no one has seen God at any time. But well, it says many saw him. Isaiah saw him. Isaiah 6, other passages, people right. saw him. Right. Ezekiel saw him. So either it's the Son of God that they saw, because the Father is is hidden, or with that also that that you cannot see God in his full, uh, unreflected glory, just a direct sight of God is, is deadly and, is, and is, right. is more than we can handle. Okay. But seeing him, uh, talking with him face to face as a man speaks with his friend, I, I, don't understand, I don't take that to mean just as if you and I are in the same room face to face talking as much as just you know, talking back and forth to each other, communicating like this. Just think of that. I mean, think of you talk to God, yeah, 
Lord, what's on your heart today? Well, Moses, I'll tell you. You know, that's, that's what was going on. Hey, thank you for the question. Um, I love your question. These are, as always, great questions. Appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Jacksonville, Florida. Pierre, welcome to the line of fire. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. You are welcome. So my question today uh, is a little tough one for me, um, partly because, you know, I, I learned about you and your ministry um, when you came and actually spoke at a service of ours at, at church here in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now what I've, I've been wrestling with is this idea that my pastors and leadership at my church are now virtue signaling about what's been happening in the country. Um as of late, and pushing the narrative that uh, there's systemic racism in the United States and nothing has changed even when the civil rights movement happened, that Mm -hmm. there's basically, we we should all atone for what's happening. And and it's, it's the, I don't know if you've had a chance to see their messages or not. I don't want to call them out on the the show, but um, it's basically made my family, who is not white and not black, feel very marginalized and also feel very disrespected in regards of their position on the United States being a corrupt country and got it right so yeah I I'm not I'm not aware of of specific messages from pastors that you're referencing let me say a few things Pierre first I'm sorry that you and your family are, are going through this and that it's impacting you in this particular way uh, let me say that I'm, I'm not quick to use the word virtue signaling because plenty of times I've done something just out of conscience or trying to do what's right. It's like, well, you're virtue signaling. It's like, what are you, what are you even talking about? So I always want to take people at their word as much as possible and believe that the motivation is right and pure. But what about what's actually being said? We'll come back to that on the other side of the break. Stay there. Thank you, sir. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. We've got special broadcasts coming your way next week. Uh, beginning with an interview that we just recorded with Professor Craig Keener, one of the world's foremost New Testament scholars, on the gospel and racial reconciliation. You'll find it really helpful, get you some great perspectives on the cultures involved and the the depth of division between Jew and Gentile and how the the gospel makes us one in Yeshua. So, uh, Pierre, uh, just back to you, uh, a couple of things. Uh, So if someone sincerely wants to address an issue, and they feel to do so. I'm not going to assume they're virtue signaling. Others may feel like that. But I, I want to take them at their word that they sincerely feel of this. And m- many times what I've heard from my black friends is all we need to know is your solidarity. In, in other words, when, when we feel that we're hurting or another thing has come up that, that opens up wounds from the past, we just need to know that you care. We need to know that, that, that you stand with us in the midst of this, and, and that goes a long way. So many times, 
it's it's not a matter of virtue signaling as much as saying, hey, I, I want my brothers and sisters who are hurting right now to know that we stand together and that we are one in Jesus and that we are not silent at this time. Now, the question is, that how much of a certain narrative do we buy into? Okay? And <clears throat> what I've heard... Let, let me ask you this question, Pierre. Simple question. Yeah. Do you think, on average, in America... It's easier to be white or black. I guess it'd be easier to be white. Yeah, I, I mean, pretty well. I mean, we it's a majority white country, and there were things that have been placed for centuries that that gave uh, whites benefits that blacks didn't have in many parts of the country. And then even when that's legally stopped, they still have a legacy and and you know things like that. So many times, it's just a matter of understanding that for a black person growing up, they may have more hurdles to overcome than a white person on average, just broadly speaking, on average. And if you ask, okay, why is the prison system so disproportionately black? And why is poverty so disproportionately black? And you go through all this, you say, well, it's wrong choices and follow this home. It's like, okay, I understand all that, but what, what happened? How do we get where we are? So it's not a matter of white guilt. Unless I was guilty of doing something to hurt someone or oppress someone, why would I feel guilty? And I'm not, I'm not thinking about white privilege, white supremacy, others use those terms. I'm just saying, okay, we definitely have a situation where people have more odds against them than someone else. And you can't deny that a lot of that comes from our history. So if you go back to the 1600s with the colonies and some of the colonists were slave owners, and some had a theology that blacks were inferior either racially, that the, the hot climate in Africa made for, for inferior people, or they were part of a curse that had been passed down from Ham. They were cursed people, and therefore slavery was justified. I mean, there were various theories to, to justify slavery and the slave trade. Others opposed it, for sure. But if you just think, okay, so that's the 1600s, uh, all the way up until the 1960s, all that part of our history that much of America was unjust or even cruel towards black Americans, and, and you could, in certain circumstances, kill a, a black American with very little impunity and the lynchings and all of this. So it's, it's not that long from 64 and, until today to think that everything just kind of fixed itself. So to the extent that we have a hearing ear for our black brothers and sisters, and, and they're not monolithic, there are many different voices, right? You have a hearing ear. Then, then we can have dialogue, and we can say, well, how can we work together to address, if there is racism or injustice, how can we work together to, to address these issues as brothers and sisters in Jesus, knowing that ultimately the, the, the biggest issues are the conditions of the human heart? I think that we should be doing. And, and not feeling, I'm 100% against bowing down to the mobocracy, bowing down to the radical agenda of a Black Lives Matter movement, while at the same time understanding my black friends who say, well, we feel like our lives don't matter, and a policeman can kill us and you don't care. It's like, no, no, we want to shout Black Lives Matter, but we want to distance ourselves from that movement. And um, if, if you take a minute, Pierre, my latest article I share some input that I got on social media from some, from some black Christian friends. I, I think that'll be a good read, give some perspective. 
But then after that, I'd encourage you and your family to sit with the pastoral leadership and say, hey, we want you to know where this leaves us and how this makes us feel so that the whole body can be properly ministered to. Is that helpful? Yeah. And, and listen, if you're in a healthy church and, and you love being there otherwise, don't, don't let this be a stumbling block. Folks are doing their best to walk through a, um, a minefield here, all right? And sometimes there's overreaction along the way on all sides. But bless you, man. Thank you for calling and having an open heart. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Jeff in Mancelona, Michigan. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Doc. I was calling in um, reference to Matthew twenty three thirty six, and um, I noticed Messianic Rabbi Zev Porat says that the sun shouldn't be, um, in the original Hebrew, the sun isn't there. I looked at the Peshitta, I noticed that the sun isn't there. I wanted to get um, a scholarly opinion from you about whether the... Um, I also don't want to use confirmation bias, because it makes sense to me that Yeshua would be omniscient, but... I, I, I want to know what the most accurate and what the earliest manuscripts say, according to a scholar like yourself. Right, and, and what verse were you speaking of? Uh, Matthew, I think it was 2336, where Jesus says nobody knows the time. Oh, okay, or no, that's, the, right, that, that's the wrong verse. Right, right. You're, you're thinking of Matthew 24. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's, that's okay. Not a problem. Happens to the best of us. Uh, no, there, there's, uh, there's no reason to say, uh, to exclude the Son. There's no good scholarly reason, because he, he's speaking as a human being. In other words, uh, as a human being, he willingly put aside his, his divine prerogatives. So, for example, do, do you, let me ask you this. Do you think that when he was a baby, that he was faking it when he'd go, mama, goo, goo, or do you think that he knew, like, every language on the planet, and he was faking it? Well, I've had some weird theories, but there's no evidence for it in the Bible, and I, I'm not going to preach anything heretical, so I'm going to say no. Okay, so, so in other words, he, he was fully human, right? He needed yes, to sleep. Absolutely. He fully needed God, fully to man. eat. Yes. Right, right. So he did, not, uh, he, he did not know everything all the time unless it was revealed to him. Uh, why, why would the Holy Spirit anoint him to preach or to heal if he was using his omnipotency? So he willingly laid aside his divine prerogatives while being fully God, and there were certain things he didn't know while he was on earth. You, the assumption is, uh, with his resurrection, he knows everything. As, uh, there's, no, there's no limitation being put on him. So, I mean, there, the, the, the more logical argument textually is that it would be unlikely for a scribe to add that in but it would be possible for a scribe to take it out. Uh, you know, in, in other words, that a scribe might think that's scandalous and take it out. Why would a scribe add, why would someone add it in later? That doesn't make sense. Uh, so my understanding, the best textual evidence is that it is original. But again, it's in keeping with him being fully man and laying aside his prerogative to omniscience. Could he have at any moment drawn on it to know anything. You could, you could theorize that. But as fully human, he would know things as the Holy Spirit would reveal them to him. And, and again, he was anointed by the Spirit because he relied on the Holy Spirit to do things because he had laid aside his prerogative of omnipotence while always being fully God and fully man. Hey, thank you, sir, for the question. 
Um, let's just see here. Do I have time? Yeah. All right, real quick. Stephanie in Dallas, Texas, welcome to the line of fire. I heard you uh, look at the question and, and, and pardon for a second. Can I do it? Thank you for your real kosher Jesus book. I'm about a quarter of the way through. Uh, the question that I have is um, I've been studying and I cannot determine whether or not there's enough evidence to support a pre-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture. Well, I would say this, with all love and respect to all my pre-trib friends and knowing I got saved in a pre-trib church and I work with pre-trib folks all around the world, if I locked you in a room with the Bible for 20 years and you never heard of the pre-trib rapture, you'd never come up with it. You'd never come up with this system that, that, that there's a second coming and a third coming because that's what it comes down to. And, and that the word for, for arrival doesn't really mean arrival and the word for revealing doesn't mean revealing. Just read... 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2. Just that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and chapter 2. There it explicitly says that we will receive rest when the Lord comes in blazing fire, taking vengeance on those who don't know God. And 2 Thessalonians 2 says the day of our gathering to him cannot take place until the rebellion, the apostasy happens first, and the man of sin is revealed, namely the Antichrist, whom the Lord will destroy with the brightness of his coming. The very, the very word that Paul uses to speak of our being gathered together to be with the Lord, the coming of the Lord will not happen. We will not be gathered to him until he comes and destroys the Antichrist. When he comes to do that, we are caught up together with him and descend to the earth in the full view of the whole world. Of course, I have a book on this too, Not Afraid of the Antichrist with Professor Craig Keener and I not afraid of the Antichrist. And with that, we don't divide over these things. Let's bless one another. Let's pursue one another in the Lord to bless, to encourage. And friends, in the midst of a crazy world, we have the answer in Jesus. Let's point everyone to him.